All right, so last week Jesus appeared to a group of disciples, at least 11, in a room, but it was really about Thomas. He was the focus of the meeting. Today we'll see Jesus appear to another group, seven disciples, but Peter is the focus. There's six other guys around, but it's really just about, just about Peter. In order to get a full context for what's going on, you've got to remember the last time we heard Peter talk uh, was a few weeks before what we're going to look at today. Uh, he was in the courtyard of the high priest on the night that Jesus got arrested. So Jesus is taken to the high priest's house to be interrogated. And Peter and most likely John follow. And John gets Jesus into the courtyard. And then here's what happens, starting in verse 17. You remember this. So this servant girl says, you weren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked to Peter, and Peter says, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. Keep that in mind. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Verse 25. Meanwhile, Peter was still standing there, warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of Jesus' disciples too, are you? And Peter denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So Jesus has appeared to the disciples as a group at least twice on Easter and then a week after. And Peter has been a part of that group. But as far as we know, he and Jesus hadn't had a conversation. They haven't talked about his denial. We don't see Peter saying anything in either of John's other recorded appearances of Jesus to the group. And so keep that in mind as we pick up today. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night, but that night they caught nothing. So just a little context. So the disciples have been in Jerusalem for a while. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. He was resurrected in Jerusalem. The Passover festival was a week, and they've been in Jerusalem that whole time. So both of the previous appearances of Jesus had happened in Jerusalem. The festival is over, and so it looks to me like the disciples have just gone home. Peter is from Galilee. Nathaniel's from Galilee. James and John, those are the sons of Zebedee. They're also from Galilee. So it appears to me like they, they've just gone home, and there's some other guys with them. And, and, and they're fishing. Peter says, I, I'm going to go fishing, and... They choose to come, and some people read a lot into that. I'm going to go fishing because Peter used to be a fisherman. That was his job before he began to follow Jesus. And so some people say, oh, he's going back to his old way of life. He's going back to his old job, kind of his pre-Jesus life. I don't necessarily see that. What I see is there's some guys who had three years Jesus had set an agenda for them every day. Every day they got up and they just followed him around. They did what he did, and since his resurrection, they haven't had that same type of interaction. Jesus doesn't appear to be living with them 24-7 like he was prior to his crucifixion. He seems more to kind of pop in and pop out. So when the festival's over, they go home because where else are they going to go? And they start to fish because what else are they going to do? I see it more as them just kind of awaiting further instructions more so than, you know, some kind of walking away from relationship or walking away from calling. I think it's just they had to eat, and so they went fishing because that's how they made a living. But again, I don't think that I wouldn't necessarily read anything 
uh, more significant into it. So they fish all night, and they don't catch anything. Frustrating. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Which is what everybody wants to hear after they fished all night and don't have any. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. There's an idea of fire again. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the disciples had seen Jesus twice, different context, 100 yards away, early in the morning, the light's probably not great. Easy for me to see them not being able to recognize him. I don't know why they would do what a stranger said and throw their net in, but maybe they figured, hey, we got nothing to lose. So they follow the instructions of this kind of would-be stranger, throw their net on the other side of the boat, and they bring in this huge haul of fish, 153. And in that moment, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says to Peter, hey, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. Back in Luke 3, two and a half, maybe three years ago, Peter and James and John are fishing, and Jesus is in the boat with them. They haven't caught anything, and he says, throw your net onto the other side, and they do. They bring in a huge haul of fish. And so I think John is making a connection. Hey, this has happened before. And so he says to Jesus, it's the Lord. Peter's in his boxers, and he puts on some clothes, jumps in the water, swims to Jesus. You don't want to appear before Jesus in your underwear. So he swims, beats the boat. They're rowing with this huge haul of fish. And they all get to the shore, Peter a little bit before the boat. And there's a charcoal fire there, and Jesus has some fish and some bread, and he invites them to sit down and have breakfast with him. He already has some food, but he invites them to sit down. And then he says, hey, we can use, I could use some of your fish. Do you have anything? And Peter says, hey, I'll go get it. So remember, Peter, as far as we know, Peter and Jesus hadn't had a conversation. Jesus and Peter have been in the same room. Peter's heard Jesus talk, but they haven't talked about this, the denials. The three things that we just read. And so now you have the scene very similar. Jesus, six disciples plus Peter, around a charcoal fire. They say smell is the sense of, that's most tied to memory. If Peter needed his memory jogged, that smell as soon as he got out of the water and he smelled that fire probably did it for him. And he goes up, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where um, there was kind of an elephant in the room between you and someone else. There was an awkward situation relationally and in those moments tasks can be your best friend you're like give just give me something to do and so here's what i picture peter doing he goes to the net and he gets the fish and he starts saying one two three four he's counting them some people see symbolism in that number you can google it if you want there's some theories what i see is a guy who's trying to avoid jesus a little bit five six seven you want me to count again? 
I think that's what he's doing. It's awkward for him, I think. I really do think it's awkward. I think his desire is relationship with Jesus. He jumps in the water to swim to him. But I don't think he knows what to do because they haven't addressed this issue, and I don't think he knows how to do it. And so there's this tension in him, and there maybe is even some tension around the fire. I don't know if Peter's talked to the other guys about it. At least one other disciple was there, knows that he denied. And who knows what the rest of the guys think and whether that conversation has ever been had. So I think it's pretty awkward. And so Peter goes and counts fish, and then they come back, and they all sit down, and they have this meal. And keep in mind that a meal is not just a meal. A meal is a sign of relationship. It's a sign of friendship. Jesus is the host, and he's inviting Peter and these other six guys to this meal, which, again, is more than just about breakfast. It's a sign of friendship and relationship. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these other guys love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt, grieved, strong word, because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Lord's Supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain until I, alive until I return, what's that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. He's the author of the book. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So again, think of the scene. The last time Peter was around a fire with a group of guys, and they're asking him about his relationship with Jesus, he says, I don't know the guy, three times. Now we have Peter with a group of guys around a fire, and he's being questioned about his relationship with Jesus three times. I don't think Jesus is trying to rub Peter's nose in his denial, but those denials are significant. It's not nothing. Jesus doesn't wink and nod. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. There was a break in relationship, and what Jesus does is he takes Peter back to the point where their relationship was damaged. That's what he does. We're going to go back there so we can start moving forward, which is what I think Jesus wants to do. I think he's offering Peter reconciliation. They've already had this meal, sign of relationship, sign of friendship. And now very specifically, he wants to take Peter back. Again, not to rub his nose in it, not to torture him, not to berate him, not to beat him up, not to make him jump through a bunch of hoops, not to make him feel bad, but to say this is where our relationship was damaged and we've got to fix it. 
Have you ever been on the other side of that? Put yourself in Peter's position. You're the one that wronged someone else. There's a part of us that says, can we just kind of get through this pretty quick? Can I just say I'm sorry? You say you forgive me, and then we just move on. That's what we want because it's, it's not painful. But there's a better part of us that realizes if we're ever going to be on solid relational ground again, we got to go back to where the relationship was damaged in the first place and deal with that. Otherwise, it's constantly the elephant in the relationship. And you're always wondering, are we okay? Is this the landmine that I'm about to step on that's going to set this whole thing back? That's because we never went back and dealt with the issue. And again, it's not about the person who was wronged beating up the person who did the wronging at all. It's just about saying, this is where our relationship was damaged, so let's go back to that point and let's address things so we can move forward. Think about Peter. He lives at probably 30 years after this moment. And we know you can read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, if you just read those four verses. Peter took really seriously this call to be a pastor, to shepherd sheep. And in 1 Peter 5, he's actually telling other shepherds, other pastors, here's how you do, and more than just here's how you do what you do, here's why you do what you do. Peter took it really seriously. He was restored in his relationship with Jesus. He was restored to responsibility in the kingdom. And all of that, I think, was because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Don't make any deal about whether the, the different words for love, they're interchangeable. That's not an issue. What, God want, what Jesus wants to know is, Peter, where, where are we? You denied me three times, and so here we're, we're going to go back to that place where relationship was broken, and we're going to fix it. He calls him Simon. That's his given name. That's the name Peter's dad gave him. Jesus gave him the name Peter. First, in John 1, when Peter and Jesus are introduced to each other, Jesus says, you're Simon, son of John. From now on, you're going to be called Peter. He goes back to his birth name, I think, to say we're starting over. Clean slate. Let's see where we stand with one another. You have to do the same thing in, that, your, in your relationships with other people. And you know what that's like. If you never go back to that place, there's always that level of insecurity and doubt. Are we really okay? Is the ground really solid and secure? Peter's got at least 30 more years. Imagine him, how confident he's going to be moving forward if his denials are just never mentioned, just swept under the rug. Again, there's a part of him that probably would say, I would like that. If this was 30 minutes, it was probably, he was grieved. It was difficult 30 minutes. But I bet for 30 years, he was thankful for 30 difficult minutes. And that may be the case in a relationship that you're in as well. Sometimes you got to go back to go forward. Make sure the ground is solid and stable so you don't have this We'll just call it an open wound that's continuing to bleed in your relationship. Again, there's a part of us that's like, can we just slap a Band-Aid on it and go? There's a better part of us that says we really need to deal with what's going on so we can be solid with one another. And you see that here with Jesus and with Peter. Restores him to relationship. Uh, this, this whole, uh, th then they're, they're, they're walking. It, to me, it's a little creepy because John is following them. I don't, I don't know why, but there he is. And he's kind of behind. And Jesus has given Peter the, you know, the three questions. And, Jesus, and Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus gives him this same assignment three times. I want you to take care of my sheep. And then he says, I'm going to tell you your future. You're going to 
you're going to die. You're going to be crucified. You're going to be led a place where you don't want to go. Think about the soldiers leading Jesus to the site of execution. Your arms are going to be stretched out. Think about your arms being tied or nailed to a cross beam. And tradition tells us that happened to Peter like 30 years after this statement. Crucified upside down, tradition says, because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. Peter had said, I'm, going to lay down my, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, you're going to do that. You're going to do that. Peter had said that kind of in a moment of bravado. If everybody else falls away, I'm not. I'd lay down my life for you. That's why Jesus says, do you love me more than these guys love me? Last time we talked about it, you were comparing your dedication to me to everybody else. Peter doesn't bite this time. He's, there's a level of humility and maturity in him where he just says, Lord, you know I love you. And now Jesus says, you know that statement that you made? And I think there's probably some truth in Peter's heart. Yeah, he was willing to die for Jesus to a point. And then Jesus says, you're actually gonna, you're going to do that. And then Peter's response is, well, what about him? If that's the way I'm going to die, what about him? Torture, what does he get? Beheading, lanced, what? And Jesus says, it's none of your business. It doesn't matter what happens to him. Your responsibility is to follow me. You're, and that has nothing to do with what happens with John. So what if he lives until I return? And so a rumor had started that when John is written, John is really old, or maybe he's already dead. Who knows? And so people were tying those two things together and saying either John's really old or he's dead and Jesus hadn't come back. So how do those things square? And the guys who were part of John's group were saying, hey, they were writing this down. That's the we that's being referred to. Hey, we know John, he wasn't, Jesus didn't say that. He said if, he didn't say that. And they close with this statement that reminds us, John just, he picked some stories and he picked some teachings that would further his purpose, that we would know Jesus is the Messiah and believe that he's uh, the Son of God. And there are other things that he could have told. And we can read those in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So anyway, that, that's kind of what's going on there in this, some people call it an epilogue to John, John's gospel, this chapter 21, which can kind of feel a bit like a, just a tack on. To me, it's really important because we, we see this heart in Jesus to be reconciled and to be restored. He shows up on this beach when Peter's in a boat and he makes a fire and he cooks breakfast and he invites Peter and these other disciples, but it's really about Peter, and he invites them to come and eat with him, this sign of reconciliation, this sign of relationship, this sign of friendship. And then he does, and it, even though it was a bit painful, he takes Peter back to that night several weeks before where Peter had denied him, not to rub his face in his failure, but in order to say, this is where our relationship was broken, and we're going to start fresh from there. And you don't have to worry about this anymore. You don't have to wonder if we're on solid ground. You don't have to wonder, is today going to be the day that I bring this up? Or if, if for whatever reason, you don't have to have in the back of your mind, is he, is he, is he stiff-arming me? Is he avoiding me? Is he withdrawing from me? You don't have to worry about any of that because we're going to go ahead and deal with this right now. Jesus desires reconciliation. Peter needed a fresh start, and Jesus gave him one. A fresh start in relationship and a fresh start in terms of his responsibilities in the kingdom. And I wonder today if you need one as well. Do you need a fresh start?
relationally? Do you need a fresh start in terms of your responsibilities in the kingdom? There's a parable in Luke 15. There's a similar one in Matthew 18. They talk about sheep that are lost in Luke 15 or that have wandered away in Matthew 18 and a shepherd that pursues both. To me, it's, it, they're, they're speaking to two different kinds of people. When I think of people who are lost, I think of people who've never had a relationship with God. And that may be you this morning. You've never had a relationship with him. And you need to know, he desires a relationship with you. He's built a fire. There's breakfast. He's inviting you into relationship. The Bible says that through Christ, the Father was reconciling each one of us to him. Reconciling the world to himself. His desire is to relate to you as a father relates to a child. And what he wants to know from you is, are you interested? Is that something that you want? Many of you have already made a decision to follow Jesus, but for whatever reason, that relationship, we'll just call it damaged. And it could be damaged intentionally through sin. You made a point to engage in some sinful behavior. You violated your conscience. You disobeyed the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And you've been engaging in some behavior that you know is wrong, and that's damaging relationship with the Lord. But for many of us, it's not nearly that intentional or that deliberate. It's more like neglect over time. We live in this culture. We talk all the time about all the weeds in our culture. From Matthew 13, the desires uh, for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life. It's just life tends to pull us away from Jesus, or it tends to cause our focus to shift from him to something else. And if we're honest, this moment we would say, I've, dri- I've wandered away. I'm not lost, but I certainly have wandered away. And maybe you can even think back in your life, and you can think back, you're hearing Caroline give her testimony, and you can remember those glory days of the past, some camp or your baptism or some experience you had or some period of life where you really felt connected with Jesus. And if you're honest, you would say, it's not that way. I can still see him, but he's farther, kind of farther, farther down the road. Some of you have binoculars. That's how far he is. You can still see him. He's just a long way away. You've wandered a little bit. And you need to hear. He desires reconciliation. He wants to restore relationship with you. He's not looking to punish you. He's not looking to humiliate you. We need to acknowledge where the relationship kind of went sideways. That has to be done. That's what repentance is. It's acknowledging this was the moment. But again, it's not to rub your face in it. It's so you can be solid and secure moving forward. This has been dealt with. It's been forgiven. We're good. I think about Peter in a similar way to Thomas. When I think about Thomas, someone who wants to believe, he just needs a a boost. He needs to see Jesus with his own eyes, and he does. It's what he needed to believe, but his desire was to believe. He wasn't cynical. He went back the next week to that room, I think, hoping Jesus would show up. Peter, I see him as someone who wants relationship. He ran to the tomb when Mary Margaret said the stone has been, Mary Magdalene, when Mary Magdalene said the stone has been rolled away. She's not that old. So he runs to the tomb when, the, he's, when Mary Magdalene says the stone has been rolled away. He jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. There's an eagerness in him for a relationship. I think he just doesn't know what to do with the fact that he denied Jesus. There's a want to in him. 
And I think that's what Jesus is looking for. Is there a want to in you? Is there a want to be reconciled to the Father? Is there a want to move closer in your relationship with Jesus? If the answer is yes, recognize he's already showed up. He's on the beach with a fire and a meal. He's just waiting on you. He's just waiting for you. There's a few of you, not many. Two or three. And you need to hear the second part of that scene. I'm going to use the word ministry. It's a loaded word, and you just got to forgive me for it, just for the sake of time. You've experienced some level of calling into ministry, and maybe you've even engaged in that. You went to Turkey. You worked at a church. Whatever. Again, I'm thinking very stereotypically here, just for the sake of brevity. And you were engaged in that, and the whole thing blew up. And in your mind, it's, it's done. There was a, you had this calling and you fumbled it away. Either through your own choices or maybe you don't even know why. You just, you're going out. And so you just walked away from it. And you know that God still loves you and you're still in a relationship with him. But when it comes to responsibility in the kingdom, you're kind of going, I, I'm done with that. I tried. It didn't work. Thing blew up in my face. Died on the vine maybe is a better picture. And what you need to hear, and I don't know specifically what this looks like, but what you need to know is Jesus' desire is to reinstate you. His desire is to restore responsibility in the kingdom. His desire is for you to be working with his father again as a child works alongside his dad. If you think about what Jesus said to Peter, I want you to take care of people. How many guys do you say, hey, I want you to take care of people? When the last thing they've said is, hey, I don't even know who Jesus is. That's not the guy that we hire to be our pastor. The guy who publicly denies Jesus three times in a row. But it's what Jesus does with Peter. He restores his responsibility in the kingdom. And again, I don't know what that looks like for you. And it's only a handful of you for whom this is applicable. But if it is you, it's, it's something that holds you back. Again, it's this, it's this awkwardness in your relationship with the Lord where you're kind of going, I don't even know what to do with this season of my life. I stepped forward in what I felt like was obedience, and then I don't even, the whole thing fell apart. And I'm not sure what, and so you're kind of moving forward is, I'm just going to leave that in the past. and just kind of go about my, whatever my life looks like now, that's just what I'm going to do. And my encouragement to you is, to be willing to go back to that moment. Ask the question. Be asked the questions. Respond to him honestly. And see what it looks like for you to be restored to ministry. Let's go ahead and pray. We have a couple of minutes left. We'll pray with you about anything they have going on. But I want to put you in one of two buckets this morning. Or we want to pray for people who are in one of these two. One, you want to be reconciled to the Lord relationally. You know, I'm going to do something different for this group. I do think there may be some of you, this is not really about you and Jesus, it's about you and another person. And you need to, that may be the place where you need to spend the next couple of minutes. What does it look like for you to go back to the place where that relationship was damaged? You, gotta, you need wisdom and revelation on how to do that in a way that doesn't kind of blow up in your face. But there needs to be, a, I would encourage, a willingness in you to go back to the place where the relationship was damaged so that you can 
address that issue, reestablish a solid and a firm foundation. That's one group. Another is you want to be reconciled to Jesus for the first time. For many of you, it would not be for the first time. It would just be kind of a, a recognition, hey, I've wandered. I've strayed. Would you in humility say, hey, that's me, and I'm, I want to re-up. I want to reprioritize my relationship with him. And then again, just for maybe one or two of you who would say, I, I, I had this legitimate and sincere calling into what we call ministry. It's, a, it's not a great label, but I had that, and I stepped out, and it's gone. Would you recognize this morning, would you acknowledge that and allow Jesus to restore responsibility in the kingdom to you? Again, no, no guarantees on what that looks like. I'm not talking about a job. That he wants to restore you to a place of responsibility in the kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you move in the hearts of those particular men and women? Pray that there would be a, a humility and a courage to surrender, not to fight. And I pray that you administer in a way that's significant. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have ministry teams up in the corner. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on, but I would say those three things in particular. Uh, you guys can stand, uh, and Bo will dismiss us in probably about three or four minutes.